As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children, and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. If you've ever asked yourself what kind of person makes a great prison guard, then this is the episode for you. Although you might find the answer unexpected. I know I did. Like so many before her, Sue Norman arrived in Australia, having barely survived a childhood of cruelty and deprivation in the East End of London. Susan joins us on Australian True Crime to talk about her incredible life so far, which includes witnessing a murder inside Brisbane's Boggo Road Jail and warning potential sex trafficking victims from the Scottish Highlands. 
We begin with Susan reminiscing about her first home, the room in which she spent her first years in London's East End with her mum. I actually found out later it was like a hostel for women. No men were allowed. So it just had one window, one door, had bed in front of the window, small bed on the bottom, a cooker, and then when another child come along, a cot. That was it. And my mother was quite an abusive person as well, you know, all the way along. You know, I mean, she smashed my head against Carol's, my sister. So we were playing on the lounge, and it's something you don't forget. We're playing on the lounge, she grabs our heads and smashed them together. By the time I was 15, my mum chucked me out. I ended up pregnant, just carried on life as usual. My mother says we're going to the hospital for appointment. I didn't know what for. She took me there. I went in. There was three blokes in front of a desk, and he, they said, oh, you come for an abortion? And I go, no, didn't know what the appointment was for. I've come out. My mum goes, oh, you're making the appointment then. That's the first word she ever said. And I went, no. She Then I saw her turn angry, and when we were on the bus, there's moments like that you just know exactly where you're sitting and everything. And she says, when we get home, you're out. And I had to go upstairs. I got my things and left. I was sad I couldn't take my teddy. Oh, such a little girl. I know, and I was too. I was quite naive. So I'm on the street. It was cold, winter. So I made my way over to where the boyfriend was living at the time with his uncle who was renting out rooms. So we stayed there. He's the same age, isn't he, your boyfriend? One year older than me, exactly. Yeah, so he's a kid too. Oh, yes. So I stayed in a room there. I started going downhill very fast. Um, he used to just go out and he was a machinist. And um, I was just in a room starving. And he'd come home, we'd go to bed, he'd get up, go to work. I never ate. There was a great big lack of food. I just sort of had to go without. So eating was very sporadic then. So we ended up having to get married. I walked to the hospital when I was in labour, had the baby, and that was absolutely horrific. No one there. Men don't stay. No. There was no one. We were living in Wellingborough. By then I'm pregnant again. And what happened, how he started pimping was his brother was doing it and his brother's older than him. So he started doing it, but I didn't realise until he goes up north with his friends. Then they came down to me before London. So they used to come in and all these girls used to come in. What the hell's going on, you know? So anyway, I find out that way. And a lot of the times when I've got them by themselves, because they pretend you know, my, my husband was saying, oh, it's so-and-so's girlfriend, so-and-so's girlfriend. I actually told them what's going to happen. And I said, they're going to put you on the game. Some of them did say it to the boyfriends. So the boyfriends were really angry with me, but I didn't care. Some of them did run away, which I'm happy about. But... He was a Muslim, and I only ever bought pork sausages. 
my only revenge was to feed him pork sausages because <laughs> he was violent towards me. I used to get beaten up, mm. you know. I was pregnant with the second child, so what was I, 16? And he kicked me in the stomach or hit us with a leather bell. God, how long, how long were you with this guy? 13 years. So I started talking to my sister who sent a letter because my mother left England when I was pregnant with the second one, 16. So she left England. For where? Australia. And they said, why don't you immigrate to Australia? It all went ahead, sold up everything, came to Australia, stayed with my mother. My husband at the time was still violent towards me. And it's starting to show with other people too because we're at a barbie and it's going to smash a bottle over my head. So he didn't like it here. So he took off with two children. He went back home with the youngest and the eldest. So a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old left me with the 11-year-old. I ended up going over there. I went to court. Took three years. So in 86, March 86, I was over there. And they court said, well, the father's had them six years. You've only had them three, the youngest. He gets them. I came back and thought, well, I've got to get on with my life. Anyway, we ended up in, uh, my daughter and myself ended up with housing commission at Kingston. Where's that, Brisbane? Yep. And um, after a sort of certain amount of time, my son arrives. (gasps) He was 17. Because the father could not cope with him. So I've got the two children. So he's still got the young one. So I thought, here I, I've got to do better. So I went to be a prison officer. Tell us about when you walked through the doors of Boggo Road. When I walked through the door, I was shitting myself. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting wolf whistles from the prisoners. Female. Yeah. Right. So I was getting all these wolf whistles. Oh, God. I think people were wary Oh, God, what good is she going to be? Because I was the smallest there. The fights, they were interesting. They, women are more sort of, men just punch. Women are more calculating. And they fight like a man. Wow, they can go it. But I used to love it because I used to just jump on their back, put my arm around their neck, put my hand up there. Up the nose, kind of grabbing the nose. That's it. It's instinct for me, really. And that's what I did. And then, then I push them backwards and then take them to their cell. It wasn't just women, though, in Bogo. Was it, it was men and women? Because it's quite a small jail. It was, it, they had the men's section, but the women were at the back. And there was only female officers. But I didn't get into that sort of, you know, the swearing, F in this, F in that. You know, I weren't into all that. Other prison officers were, so they ended up getting it back. But I said, well, you know, I'm not swearing at you. Don't swear at me. What do you want? They just sort of underestimated a small person could do just as well as a big, burly woman.
After the break on Australian true crime, our guest today, Susan Norman, whose book is called The Pimp and the Pork Sausage, tells us about the day she was caught up in what is still the only murder of a female inmate in an Australian prison. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Debbie Dick was ambushed by fellow inmates in Boggo Road in 1990. Tell us what you remember of that. Start at six in the morning. Anyway, by lunchtime... The officers go up to have lunch and uh, you have a skeleton crew watch. The prisoners have lunch. So there was three of us. So there was me and another girl just watching them have their lunch. And while they were eating, I noticed they kept turning around looking at us. And I ended up saying to the other officer, they keep staring at us. Something weird's going on. I was in the long corridor and there's slats. And Deborah was sitting looking at the slats out to the garden. I was at the end of that corridor. It's pretty wide. Then Stormbrook came and Amale. She was sitting on a chair. They got the carving forks and they're stabbing her repeatedly, both of them crazy. I was there. They were doing it. I saw it said hit the alarm so as she's going down i've run up the passage up there i didn't go seeing to deborah i've jumped over the chair i've gone into the where they have their meal because i'm fall, i'm running after these two girls so i've run after them 
I've gone through the kitchen, which is in the middle, and I'm standing between the kitchen and the rec room where all the other prisoners are just standing like that, you know, just dead still. And Storm and Amali are just standing there staring at me. I know it was them because I saw them. But they're just standing there. They had nothing in their hands. And I thought, where the hell did they put them thoughts? So anyway, I've just stepped back in the kitchen, had a quick look, and I saw them. So I thought, I'm not touching them. I'll stand in front of them. So I stood in front of these forks, two carving forks. Then Amali, understanding in front, Amali's come in to the kitchen and she starts pacing up and down. She's looking out of the window at the slats where Deborah's on the floor. The officers are looking after Deborah. So... Marley's pacing up and down, hoping I'll move and they get the weapons back. I don't know. But I stayed there till the police came. How long was that? That's quite a while. Anyway, Deborah was taken away. Then the police were there and then they started, like, interviewing people. When um, the other officer that was with me watching them have lunch... We were being interviewed and an, another officer came in and whispered in his ear that Deborah just died. Me and Annette just looked at each other and, yeah, Annette, Annette really suffered a bit. You know, she weren't coping too well. They started bringing male officers into the prison because of the violence. That changed the whole atmosphere of the jail. It was strange. But it was in a good way. In a good way. They did change things. And um, someone I'd met on the course was actually come from Waco. He came to the course. And six years later, I ended up marrying him. Oh, my God. I know. But you also, you left the prison sector because of PTSD, right? Because Oh, God, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, I did, I did. I couldn't even find my way in the house. I'd be walking up knowing I was going to the toilet, then stop and not knowing where it was. And like a lot of coppers talk to us about, you know, it it didn't happen suddenly after the murder for you, right? Oh, no. That's right. It took a long time. I'm a a delayed reaction person anyway. So, yeah, it took a long time. In a way, I sort of blamed my husband because he softened me. Yeah. Like he opened up your emotional side? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that happened. So I think I still would have been there if it weren't for Robert. Yeah, but maybe you, you know, would have been closed off emotionally too, so. That's right, yeah. But also, you know, because you both were working, went on to work in the disability sector, right, because you saw it was needed. You saw you went and worked in the sector and went, okay, there's a big hole here. We know there are many, many holes in the disability sector. Looking back, how many people do you think in Boggo Road had disabilities that were undiagnosed? Oh, plenty, plenty. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of mental problems in jail. There was one lady that did try to hang herself and I was holding on to her. Someone else got her down. I ended up meeting her years later in the mental health 
sector. Now, my son spent 13 years there. That's the way things are. You know, you just got to get on day by day. And, I mean, I'm a really positive person. I know. I can hear that. Amazing. And I know from another interview that I heard with you, um, with Sophie Formica, who's a fabulous woman, um, a Brisbane interview, that you you lost your business uh, to your yeah, daughter. I did. Which is another thing that most of us would curl up in a ball over. And so is that relationship, has that been mended or you're still not? No, no, no. No, it's no. not mended at all. So which daughter was this, the eldest youngest. or the, the youngest? So the dynamics are, are unfathomable, you know, between all of you. And yet again, here you are, a happy person, a positive person. And so now after that happened to you at that stage in your life, after you'd built this business at that stage in your life and then lost it, you're now, you've written a book, mm. this, this girl who couldn't read at 14, 15, and you're now on the speaker's circuit. You're an absolute marvel, Susan. You're one of those great people who you personify the positives that can come out of childhood oh, trauma. Very much so, very much so. Thank you to our guest today, Susan Norman. Her book is called The Pimp and the Pork Sausage, and there's a link in the show notes to this episode to help you buy your copy. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.